Hey guys, welcome, welcome to another episode. Hello, hello, hello. I hope everyone is staying strong and doing well. Yeah, staying healthy. So tonight we have a final piece to our puzzle, to our journey. A gentleman that we met some years ago when we were looking to put together a bill uh, to assist us in making sure that Aiden was able to receive his medicine while he was in school. So tonight we have Phil Gittner is the director of Albany Operations for New York State Senator Brian Benjamin in Harlem. As a staff member of Senator Benjamin, he designs policies and legislative work relating to social and economic justice and criminal justice reform. Prior to that, he um, served in the Patterson and Cuomo administration at the Department of Agriculture and Markets. He currently sits on the board of directors at the Adirondack North Country Association, in an organization that promotes economic and social development in northern New York. Phil, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. It's, it's always nice to, to touch base with you guys. Are, uh, working with folks like you is one of the things that makes my, my work some, such a pleasure. So it's, it's great to be here. Oh, oh, thank you. Yes, and thank you because you've been so supportive of us. And, I mean, we spoke to you more often than we did with the senator, but you were always a guiding light and, you know, keeping us abreast of everything when it came to putting Tunchen's bill together. I mean, even despite the fact that it did get stalled and that, you know, pieces of it was taken and applied to current um, laws that are in place, it, at least we got the ball rolling because it, it, the attention was needed to be put on that. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, you know, the problem is, like anything, you know, people, everybody who's first approaching any problem thinks it's simple. And, you know, there's a saying that, you know, if you think if the problem is simple, it's got a simple solution, then you don't understand the problem. Mm. And I think that that's, that's where we, you know, what we experienced as we went through this. And you guys were you know, super responsive and kept me honest. So I like that. That's true. Now, when it comes to, because we, you know, we were part of that process, but at the same time, we weren't really sure, like, what goes into putting a bill, you know, what are the first steps? Like you reach out to, like we did, uh, Nina and I, uh, attended certain town halls. Nina met with, uh, Mayor de Blasio. I met with Senator Benjamin. And when we went to these, um, town hall meetings and we brought up the, uh, the issue of having medical marijuana in schools, you had, you know, deer eyes in the headlights. Like they look at you like, uh, no one's talking about that. Everybody was talking about, you know, my rent's too high. I have no heating. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's too much traffic in my neighborhood. But nobody's <laughs> talking about medical marijuana. Okay, so we kind of caught him off guard. Especially Benjamin, he's like, you know, reach me in my office. And then, you know, when uh, my wife went to see De Blasio, he's like, uh, call my people. We'll we'll figure yeah. something out. And he was actually very helpful, Benjamin uh, De Blasio. Yeah. At the time, yes, yeah, he was. Yeah. Well, this is the thing is, you know, the guy whose name is on the door has people coming at him from every possible direction all the time. Exactly. You can't prepare for everything that comes your way. So, you know, they they count on people like myself and other staff to to field it. And then, you know, it's almost like, you know, something comes in real fast. You got to slow it down in time to look at it. And Mm. this is kind of like what we do is we we stop. we, We take a look at the thing when it comes our way and we kind of figure out how, you know, how we can address this problem. And I mean, we have. I don't want to say mountains of or, or an army of them, but we have a lot of experts that I can turn to to, to figure out, for example, in this case, what the state you know, the, the state of the law is on medical marijuana because you can't know every possible thing. You can't possibly know everything that comes your way. So this is what we do. You know, we kind of take the story from 
you come to you you approach the elected and you, you say this is my problem and like you say he might be a deer in the headlights he might not know he might not be ready to talk about that but they turns around and this is what my job is and makes it very interesting is you never know what's coming but we've got to make sense of it so we can do something and so that's what we do oh great and I, you know i appreciate the fact that he did take it uh, that senator benjamin yeah. did just say you know what I want, i'm gonna take this on let's let's do it in reference to it what was the the factor that kind of like stalled it it's tough to say exactly you know i think the legislature introduces over the course of two years you know the senate mm. reviews something like ten thousand bills wow. so there's a lot of things to kind of sort through and you know some of them are never going to go anywhere some of them are compelling their obvious bills that they go through but it's the sorting through in the matter of how much time and energy can you put into every given issue. So we kind of try to sort through and figure out, you know, what are our chances of, of, of getting this thing to move? Am I going to, if I only have a six month legislative session, am I going to you know, use two months of it doing something that's never going to pass in the end? Or am I going to you know, use a little time here to get this is going to pass and move a little bit further to a successful conclusion, maybe on a multiple year pass? And it's the sort of a balance between the time and the energy you can put in. You know, what, are, what is the likelihood? You know, I have, you know, let's just say you had a great bill to give everybody a puppy. Well, you know, that's, that's a nice thing. People would love it, but, you know, you're never going to do it. Mm-hmm. So are you going to spend a lot of time and energy giving everybody, you know, promising everybody a puppy and not give them a puppy? That's not going to be any good. Right. So, you know, it's like kind of this balance between what's realistic, what's what, what you want to do because you want to make your mark as, 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 as an elected official. You, know, you do it because you, you want to make a difference. And so you kind of try to balance out, you know, how much energy can I put into this? You know, what are the chances of success on that? And so on. So from the point of view of, of a legislator, that's what we do. But in terms of what, you know, then we have to deal with the bureaucracy, right? Because they know, they're the real experts. Like, you know, you and I, we dealt with, uh, you know, the State Department of Education, the State Department of Health, and each one had its own agenda and its own priorities that we had to overcome, mm. right? Now, I mean, not, not to go into, again, not to get too detailed about, but remember, one of the things we found out as we were dealing was that, that schools did not feel that they could do, they could be put in a position where they would put other federal funding at risk by doing mm-hmm. something the federal government told them they were forbidden to do. That's true. right. Exactly. So we had to figure out a way to make it so that we didn't mandate them to do something, but make it so they could do something and that they could maybe deflect, maybe put them in a position that was sympathetic and they wouldn't put their, their federal funding at risk. Okay. Right? That was a, that was the balance that we had to try and strike with the education department. So it was like the, la- the language had to be um, written a certain way. Yeah, it had to be put in a way that was, you know, that, that wasn't going to put them because, you know, like everybody in the education world and all the social services, you know, that nobody ever has enough money. So to put any money at risk is something that they that's like a third rail. Yeah, they can't go near something that's going to make them lose money for something. And 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 uh, as we remember, you know, this is this is the time of the time of the Trump administration when they were banging the drum about being, you know, um, all this craziness, and especially you know, medical marijuana and care cannabis; those were sorts of things that they were going to try and quash. Mm. So, people in school districts and in, in private schools and public schools were very nervous about doing anything that would draw attention from from the people in Washington. So that was another thing we had to keep in mind. You know, we had to find a way to get them to be able to help people, families like yours, and not put their other problems, you know, their other funding at risk. 
management. It was very very difficult balance. It is, and I mean, did it, it take into consideration? I mean, again, we were the, probably one of only, if not the mm-hmm. first family that's come to, I guess, Albany to address this issue in New York. Yeah, and especially in New York, because it was still early too. The medical marijuana program was like 2014, and we came on board about 2017 to 18. Yeah, I think that you we met in 2018, like the beginning, like early, like January, even something yes. like that. If I remember, yes, because we had the press conference in April. Yeah. Since then, how much has it changed for New York? Well, you know, it's interesting. We've had, you know, obviously so much of the conversation rotates not around medical marijuana, but it rotates around uh, recreational the last couple of years. But medical was, you know, I've forgotten what, what year it was that the state you know, opened the gates for medical marijuana. But they, again, it was so constricted and so difficult and expensive that, that it, you know, it was very, very slow in, in actually appearing in therapeutic use in any ways they could. And over the last couple of years, you know, once we've gotten that sort of gotten used to it, the small number of dispensaries that are out in the state, you know, it's been incremental and gradual. And what's really last year, the year, so, so 2019, 2019, 2020, well, really most of 2019 to 2020 was a wash. Was <laughs> yeah. <happened. laughs> it's a blur. Yeah, but 2019 was the year we we uh, put some truth to the saying that you know marijuana was was decriminalized in New York, right? Because it was officially decriminalized, but you know people were still getting stopped and frisked and locked up for possession and all that other stuff, right? Because then there was like this thing where, for example, until 2019, you were allowed to have marijuana, but if anybody saw you having it in public, then that was arrestable. Yes. So the cops would say, you know, empty your pockets. And so, oh, you just showed me something in public. See you later. You know, and then they lock you up. So we got rid of stuff like that in 2019. And then now, of course, like I said, 2020 has changed everything. But the one thing it did, I think, this year was it opened the floodgates on People saying, well, for, for state revenue purposes, we should probably just you know make it happen. I think that there's a lot of people who are saying, we just need the money. The state needs the money. And so that may be the last thing that, that pushes us to adult recreational uh, marijuana uh, legalized in New York. And that, of course, basically just removes all the stigma and everything that goes away, what you guys are dealing with. And I think also the good news I, see, I hear in the news, and maybe I'm sure you probably more, know more of the details than I do, but I did see that the Biden people are, are looking at it too. Yes, we yes, did see we that. Yes, we did see that. So my question is, do you think on a federal level, would it ever be descheduled? I think it is coming. I think that, I think I'm really, I, you know, I uh, was very excited when I read the news or we read the news the last couple of weeks that the Biden administration is being much more progressive than anybody thought they were going to be on, on everything, on every single thing. The only thing that they haven't done that, that they, they, that has come out of the news that I wish they had done is to get rid of the stupid space force, but everything else, they are like really doing a lot of progressive things that are, we didn't expect they would be doing so fast. So who knows? Well, if they're moving that fast, shouldn't it be a concern? It's like, okay, is there a plan in place, or is just we're just going to go through this? Oh, I think there's a plan. I think there's this is the one thing that's amazing. When I meet people who work in Washington or old Washington hands, the talent and the and the planning that is done out there is uh, nice, really remarkable. 
really remarkable. Um, I mean, I know, you know, professionally and personally, people in Washington who are uh, who have been doing Washington stuff for 20 or 30 years, and I am impressed by the level of talent that's there. So I don't think that the Biden people, just from what I can know from reading the papers, are, are flying by the seat of their pants. They have a plan. Okay. And I, but again, I only know I don't have any insider information. I know why I read the paper. <laughs> nice. No, but no. That's being honest. So in reference to the medical marijuana program, is it going to expand? Is it going to get better? Because there's times where I called in Albany and asked, um, you know, especially Department of Health, are, do you have any aggregated data about who are the patients in a sense by demographics, by sex, especially mm-hmm. as it relates to, you know, pediatrics? Because uh, I know that our son has a card and probably one of the first, if not the first kid to have one in New York State. So we're just like, I'm trying to figure out, hey, do you guys have them? He's like, no. I said, you guys are not collecting data? <laughs> no. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's a, that, that sounds like the New York State government that I know. Okay, never mind. That's, a, that's the same operation. <laughs> yeah. uh, the problem is that, and, and this is, you know, this is the, this is the, the, benefit, the, the, the fruit of 40 years of starving government. It's just that when I worked in, like when I worked at Ag and Markets, we, well, I started working at Ag and Markets in 2008 or nine. And I think we had 700 people on staff. And when I left in 2017, we were down to 500 people. Wow. Uh, and they're, they're the expertise that you lose, mm-hmm. because mostly the people retired. You know, it wasn't they were it wasn't like they were laying people off left and right. They just let them retire, and then they never refilled. Mm-hmm. And so every agency has got that kind of thing going on. And so they just don't have the people, you know, they're supposed to conduct reports and statistics and everything else. And they just, they just haven't got the manpower to do what they're required to do. To give you an example, there's a, um, there's, I saw in my research recently, maybe two years ago, there was a bill in the city, uh, city council in, in New York to, to review all the various reports that the mayor was supposed to submit to the city council. And it is, I believe, it's either 200 items or 200 pages. I can't remember which. But in any event, it was a list of reports that are just not done that they're supposed to happen. And it's just it's just a statistical sort of thing that you would expect any any properly organized government would do. But it's all in the books. They're supposed to do it, but they just don't have the manpower to do it. And I bet you that that's what you're hearing about when they talk to these guys in health. Uh, they say, yeah, we'll collect it. But there's just, there's a guy in a cubicle, but he's got 1,400 other reports to do. Yeah. And like, yours isn't at the top of the pile. Yes. Okay. That's understandable. Totally get it. Well, it's, it's just terrible because it's, you know, we're not getting the government we paid for. You know, we, the part of the deal is, you know, we, we agree to pay our taxes. We agree to be, you know, vote and be active. And then you go and do the things we expect you to. And it was like, I, no, sorry. Yeah, it's not happening. Just... So, uh, but I do think I really, honestly do think, and I, I think I've said this to you, Osiris, before. But and I and I say it to people that I come and visit me at work all the time. You know, we've this mess has been made over the last forty years, and it's not going to be fixed in one year. And that's going to take us, you know, a good good long time. It won't take us forty years to un, unscrew it, but yeah. we're going to have to unscrew it, and it's going to take a long time. Yeah, there's a lot of cleaning up to do. Yeah. 
But I think we have turned the corner. I really do. I think that this madness that we're seeing in the news is like the last dying gasp of, of the craziness. Just that this is going. This is this is this is how I get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and hoping it changes, like oh, a new world. Well, look at you know, it's, and, and I know that it it sounds a little much to say, but you know, the fact that you guys do what you do shows that we still have the right stuff. You know, I have people who come to me. I had today people coming to me to talk about criminal justice stuff. I have people coming to me to talk about immigration stuff. I have people coming to me to talk to me about uh, opioid uh, uh, addiction. And these are people who are doing it not because they're getting paid to do it. They're doing it because they think it's right. Yes. yes. And I see people are doing a lot of great things every day. And uh, it gives me faith that we will do the right thing as long as, you know, we continue to you know, answer our hearts, if you will. I don't need a little schmaltzy to say that, but, you know. <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that if the government can't do it, we'll take matters into our own hands. It's either yeah. you support it, either, either the government supports us, or did you stay out of the way? Yeah. You know, because it's something that needs to be done. We can do it, which we have to, we have to have the will to do it. And I think that you guys, you know, you and I mean you, and not just you two, but I mean everybody mm-hmm. in this line of work is, is making us do it. And I think that's Excuse me, that's a good sign. It definitely is. Now, where do you see the medical marijuana program growing? Do you see it growing? Do you see staying stagnant? Not stagnant. But I think I think that it's going to grow in New York. I think you're going to see increase in dispensaries. Okay. I think you're going to see. I, th- I believe you'll see an increase in number of vendors. Mm-hmm. I think that with the um, with the growth of the recreational coming in, that's going to create a uh, competitive pressure on the medical market who will suddenly have people who are producing you know maybe i know that they try to you know separate the two industries out from each other but i think that they're going to create a pressure that's going to be competitive on them so there will be better availability better supply chains and uh, better prices and and yeah. i think that's going to I, I think that that's sort of the long term you know five or ten years down the road will be will be unrecognizable yeah, and I also think once we do go uh, recreational, I think there's still a lot of people who are, are scared to uh, get the medical card because they're still hesitant. Mm-hmm. But I do think if it's recreationally legal, they then won't be as hesitant to use it in med- uh, for uh, medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it destigmatizes. Yes, you know, it will yes exactly. Because I know there are people that have certain things going on, but they wouldn't. You know, for example, I have a friend who suffers from migraines, but I said, well, "Won't you try to CBD?" They're still nervous, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, you know, so there's still, you know, that stigma. But I do think once the laws change, then it, hopefully, hopefully, you know, it would mitigate some of the stigma. Well, if I remember correctly, was it two years ago? Even even the Trump administration opened the door to. Uh... Uh, through the Department of Agriculture to to produce industrial hemp, yeah. and uh, industrial hemp and to sort of kind of get things going in that way and I think that's again tiny wedge to open the door and that and I think and I can't remember like because you guys follow this and I don't there has also been some um, has there been a new regulation or new new laws to to increase the amount of study. Yes, of of, of 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 as a drug, you know, it's because because it was always so forbidden, they never talked about it. But now there's there's there actually will be doing some studies which will 
help produce better products and everything. Yeah, like more randomized controlled trials, mm-hmm. more studies that, you know, the medical professionals respect. So, yeah. That that would be that's huge, yeah. But that's interesting because there's always been documentations. There's always been medical, you know, journals about cannabis going back to the 1800s. Yeah, no, yeah. you're definitely true. But I, I, it's not enough yet. I, you know, even yeah. if, if some for some reason it's not enough yet. You're right, though. You know, yeah. I just think that that, that you're you're looking at what I think is a, you know a more mature approach to something that you should be mature about, and not just a bunch of you know crazy hyperventilating hysterics yeah because uh i know that when i initially got involved in this industry and doing research i looked for grants because it was an organization i was part of um one of the things that i was tasked with is finding grants to support um the use of um cannabis for medicine or for anything and a lot of the grants were things to show the negative side Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. was nothing Imagine looking for that. positive. Yeah, so they were throwing money for the negative side. So I'm like, okay, it's almost like trying to short the market. You just, you just looking. For... <laughs> yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just uh, it's on everybody's mind these days. Yeah, yeah, right. But again, it goes to shows that there was no real support for it, but yet there's a positive results of it. I mean, even in fact, in um, medical schools, they're not teaching about the endocannabinoid system, but yet we have it. Mm-hmm. And no, I do think it's. It, it sounds like they're getting more, um, more mature about it all. Okay, I, mean, I think that's. I, and I mean that almost. I mean that in both senses. In the one sense, that yes, it's older, but I think also a more emotionally mature way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just I can't believe that we've had to go through everything we've had to, to okay. get here. But yeah, exactly. understood. So the last uh, question for you, Phil, in terms sure. of let let the audience know. So in New York State. If a say uh, we have a parent that he needs a dose of his CBD, he has a medical card. What should the parent do? If they go to public school in New York. Uh, well, there is that that regulation that mm-hmm. that uh, remember that regulation that we've talked about between us before, right? That yes. um, lays out the procedures for um, for a school to comply with okay. with what the state requires. Okay. And I'm sorry to say, in preparation for our conversation, I didn't pull it up in front of me. But I know I've sent, uh, oh, I yes, have it. I've yes. discussed it with you and yes. Cyrus recently. Yes, yes, I have it. Right. And that's what you, you know, you got to just print it out and wave it in front of their faces if they get Basically, yeah. I just wanted them you to know? hear from you. So, yeah, basically, there is something you parents can do out there if you're in the situation where your child um, does need a dose. In school yeah. in New York State, so. yeah, because this this, this New York State uh, regulation has was was put out. It was an emergency regulation. It was done. I've forgotten. Is it 2018 or 2019? Oh. That uh, basically covers us on this, right? Yeah. Was was that that happened like soon after? I think Senator Savino was part of that. That came like soon after that we had proposed our bill. That I, we found out that like yeah, we have something already in the books. We just have to uh, make some amendments to the educational law and the health and the, uh, the health laws to include. Yeah, those. I think that that's where we are. Yeah, and so as a result, I think that you know we're in a position that is like anything. It's good enough. It's not great. Yeah, it's good that's, enough. That's what we feel. Like <laughs> yeah. that's what we, we Osiris and I were like. Okay, what should we do about this? You're like, yeah, this is the best we can do right now. Yeah, 
but just keep sharing the message. So, <laughs> it's like it's like you know it's it, it's 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 the best enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, great, great work, everybody. Pat yourselves in the back. Yeah, yeah. We got it to the table. <laughs> That's true. So basically, so then what's happening is that it's not the. I guess you're bringing the Ten Commandments. You have it printed, but no one's bringing it down and enforcing it. Yeah, yeah. is that yeah. what's happening? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, and and I don't think the word gets around much. It does, because yeah. Not, you know that people don't know, but uh, that reg and 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 you know you can you guys put together liner notes or whatever else you do. You can you can make a reference to that specific uh, regulation so that people who are who need that information can find it, and people in other states can see what we've done in New York because it is published on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And you can you can find it uh, no matter where you are. Yeah, I just shared and, it with some uh, people. It's legalese, but it, it says, you know, the chapter and verse, this is what, what, what you can and cannot do. And it, it does provide a, a stopgap. You know, it doesn't solve all the problems and, and, and it could you know, conceivably go away, but it's not likely to. Okay. Now, have the government considered working, because as we talked about, you guys being short-staffed and, you know, certain things are just not on top of the priority list when you're dealing with millions of people with millions of needs. Um, yeah. Have there been a consideration working with private organizations? Is it, uh, you know, institutions that would help with certain parts of things that are just not really getting the attention? Like let's say the data collection. Well, you know, still somebody needs to get paid. Yeah. That's right? true too. Somebody. Nobody does it for free. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. It, I was talking to people today um, and she was, there was an immigration group and I think the group was called something like speak English or something like that. And, wow. and, and normally you don't hear people say something like that in the immigration sphere, no. but the thing, this group was like 120 years old and it was founded to help people naturalize back in the 1890s. And, wow. so and they have this whole time because in New York, unlike, uh, and, and I probably to a certain degree, maybe in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, but, um, there was no, uh, in that time, the 1890s to 1910, there was no government structure. And so these private groups got together, like you're suggesting this, Iris, to do what needed to be done. Mm. And they raised their own money and they, you know, they found a, you know, a benefactor to fund them and they, they basically were a charity. And then that became, uh, you know, over time, we got the system where New York sends tax money to these private charities to run these social services. And that's how New York built this. That's excellent. You know, in other states, they never had it. And so then, you know, when Roosevelt came around with a new deal and they built it from scratch and the government came in and did it. But in New York, that's why we have all these nonprofits who do these amazing things because they were there first. That's interesting. I did not even know that. And you said you liked history. Come on, buddy. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to sit down and chat about history. Now, well, we always can. Thank you. Now, with the criminal reform, how yes. how is that playing out in the sense of people who've been who've been incarcerated for years for uh, cannabis, either possessions or for mm-hmm. manufacturing, whatever the case may be? Is there a timeline for them to be released, or have they been being released, or is that contingent on their scale? I honestly do not know the answer. Mm. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that if you that we do have in the decriminalization law we passed in 2019, and that the governor signed. There is a record expungement provision so that if you have it in your record, you can get it cleaned out. Now, I don't know exactly 
how that works for those people who were already in the system who were locked up. I believe that people who were locked up, and again, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an expert on this, but it is my belief that anybody who was in the system at the time of the passage of the law who would not have been in the system and incarcerated would have had uh, a release. But if you were, for example, a trafficker with bales and bales, obviously that was another story. Yeah. Right. But I believe that's what they did. But I, I, I honestly don't remember off the top of my head what we did about that, but I believe that's what they did. And I do know that we had the expungement so that you could go to uh, the, the authorities and have your record cleaned up. Hmm. And now that's as far as it's going to go. Are there going to be any compensation for the time that they spent? Or it's just no a, idea. Mm, no th- idea. that would be a costly bill too to foot. That would be costly. And actually it's interesting, you know, we have a bill uh, uh, that is in the criminal justice. It's not a, uh, a cannabis bill, but we have a, um, a wrongful incarceration bill. And we think we refer to it inside internally as the you know, central park five bill Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're trying to find a way to, to compensate for those people who lost so much of their lives um, through wrongful imprisonment. I mean, that's, you know, that's the, that's the crazier thing, right? Yeah. So now how does that apply with uh, laws that were put in place that created that situation? Are they going to be amended so it doesn't happen? Or are you just going to create another law to offset? No, that? no, they did. No, we, though. So for example, um, let's just say that, you know, and I forgot what the name on is. Maybe it was an ounce. Just say for an example, that, you know, you could have been locked up for having an ounce, but now you cannot be locked up for an ounce. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's no longer on the books. I mean, what they do is they literally we, when we when we pass a new law, it, it, it erases that old section of law. So let's just say it's Section 25 of the penal law, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that Section 25 of the penal law just does not exist anymore. There's, mm-hmm. The law goes from 24 to 26. 25 just is gone. Mm. And now moving down to law enforcement, they're updated on these changes as well. Oh, they? yes. Okay. Yes, as, absolutely. There are regular procedures to make sure the word gets out. And what happens is if you, when you look at a bill, you'll see, um, you know, depending on the complexity of the bill, the last section of the bill says when the bill goes into effect. So if it's a bill that, you know, let's, I have a bill that we're, we're introducing uh, related to prohibiting uh, the use of spit hoods, right, which killed the Daniel Poole up in Rochester last year. Um, that will go into effect immediately. Boom. You know, tomorrow. As soon as the governor signs it, the governor has, you know, would go and, and you know, has, there, are, there are mechanisms. There's a division of criminal justice services under the governor, and they inform all the police departments. Oh, wow. So there's, there's all these, like, remember how we started the conversation saying, you know, if you think you know the, if you think you know the solution, you think it's simple, you don't understand how complex everything is. Yeah. So there are systems in place to do things like that. So, um but they tried. I understand that there are certain areas of law, and again, I'm not an expert of this. But there are certain areas of law that, like every November, everything's timed out to to cascade through in November, so everybody knows to expect a change in November or whatever it might be. It might be October or whatever. There are certain sections of the law they do try to synchronize, but there are other ones that are immediate. Mm. Now, has there been a plan put in place to help with destigmatizing uh, cannabis in use? Oh, I wish I wish there were. I do know that um, one of the biggest bills that's moving right now in the state legislature, the Marifor- Marijuana Reform and Taxation Act, the MRTA, 
mm. MRTA, yes, which is Senator Kruger's bill, yes, Senator has um, spending to to address people who were victims of the war on drugs. And I don't know if it includes uh, – it must include some education stuff in there, which could conceivably play into the, the stigmatization part of it. But I don't think that it is explicitly so. I would love to be part of that, especially the educational aspect because – that's something my um, my wife and I, Dina and I, had discussed. Is you know attending certain um, parent teacher conferences. I mean meetings. You know after school to talk to parents about CBD because there may be a child in their classroom who may be using it and benefiting. So without having that stigma, because I know in middle school and high school there are some kids who are going through the stigma of using it, especially out in Long yeah. Island and Westchester. So I know in the city. You know, certain neighborhoods, they have that stigma. You know, you smoke marijuana, you go to jail, or you're just, you know, all the negative things that go with it. But, you know, for a child who's using it for an ailment, you know, there's something else. So that's that's one of the things of just that grassroots we thought of doing and just helping parents understand, you know, that child using it is not, a, you know, someone who's just using it just for fun. Being a teenager is tough enough as it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So now, um, what are your plans, you know, as we close out? Well, we're just helping Senator Benjamin be the best senator he can, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're working on, as, as uh, we said, we're doing a lot of criminal justice stuff, a lot of social justice stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's session now. It's this today's February 4th. Yeah. And our session runs from beginning of January to June. And it's, uh, interesting now that we're doing everything virtually through COVID. Uh, it used to be a certain rhythm that you could kind of manage the chaos of it, but now with with Zoom calls and and things, it, it's it's five days a week of of the intensity that we used to have for two days a week. So it's been very busy, and it's almost like um, just kind of keeping your head above water as we get through. Everybody's attention right now is focused on what's going to happen out of Washington to help us with the uh, economic yes. crisis caused, and that's and that's really our, our highest priority is, is is getting through the next couple of weeks or actually a couple of months because we have to get the state budget together by April first, yeah. and then then from April first till the end of June, that's when we do a lot of things that are off budget, and there'll be a lot of exciting legislation. I think we're going to do. I think a lot of the things that we do will. Be you know partly uh, you know, obviously re- responding to rebuilding New York from the from the COVID thing, and then also uh, a lot of attention is is on, uh, is on this criminal justice stuff because uh, the last year was more than just the COVID crisis. Yeah, it's been piling on. Uh, I'm just thinking that if Cuomo had uh, really passed the bill a couple of years ago to um, allow for recreational in New York, that could have been able to offset now. Yeah, but you know it's interesting. The money isn't you know the 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 state budget gap is fifteen billion dollars. Oh, never mind. Never mind. (laughs) And and the estimated revenue for recreational marijuana in the first year is six zero million. So Uh, that's not even six percent, right? No, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, they wouldn't even felt that ripple. So that's that's a lot. I mean, there's just no combination of uh, new taxes uh, and spending cuts to get us where we go. The only way we can fix this is for help from the federal government. Wow. And uh, we'll get there. I mean, we, we, we can get there, and the federal government has the power. I mean, they they uh, they find that when they do these stimulus packages, that that actually helps everybody. So, you know, funny thing, when people have no money, you give them money, it makes things better. You know, it's <laughs> crazy. It's like, it's like, like, 
magic. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's out of control. So you know, you're, it's not that difficult for people. Just get the stuff going, get the stuff flowing, and yeah. and you know, money is cheap, and uh, we we a lot of things we got to build and fix. You know, we got to get uh, a lot of infrastructure stuff built because it's been falling apart for forty years. So put people to work, and next thing you know. So I'm optimistic, but we have a lot to do in the next six months here in New York. Great. I'm hoping we'll be part of that, too, because we have ours as well. So I uh, hope we could be part of that rebuild. Phil, I just want to say thank you very much for spending time with us. I appreciate you and all the things you've done and helping our family as well as, you know, putting together yes, that bill. thank you so much, Phil. My pleasure. It's always great to hear from you, and I look forward to talking to you again before too long. Oh, yes, definitely. And we'll probably make another road trip up there to see um, what's going on grassroots-wise. Well, when we open up, this year oh, yes, we're not right. open. <laughs> oh, my so God. This, this year it's all on Zoom. Oh, my God. Did you start growing your beard? No, I'm, uh, I've actually, you know, I, I shave every day. And I, you know, <laughs> like looking, you're going to work. <laughs> I'm looking like a normal person because I'm bald. I'm practically bald. I shave my head anyway. So I don't even have to worry about like, look like a gypsy or anything. <laughs> okay. No problem. Well, it'll be always great to see you. Uh, hopefully soon. Okay. My friend. All right. Thank see you. See you soon. Take Thank care. You. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us. I'm out.